everyone and welcome to another Scots We Hey podcast and today I'm joined by writer Alan Gillespie. Hello Alan. Hi Ali, how are you? I'm well, thanks and it's good, good. to catch up with you. We're here to talk about uh, your debut novel The Mash House. Uh, now we've kind of known each other for quite a while o- over the years and I've followed your writing over that period of time and as such I'm really, I've been really looking forward to the debut novel for such a long time how does it feel for you? If I'm feeling that way, how does it feel for you to have it out? <laughs> it feels great. It feels um, surreal. It kind of feels like, um, just because it's been such a long time in the planning, you know, the or, or originally it was meant to be published in January, but that got delayed due to the pandemic and things, which has probably been a good thing because it means that the bookshops are open. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's been going around my head a long time. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, discussions and trying to line things up and for it to actually be happening um, feels wonderfully weird, I would say. I think, I mean, you're right, your bookshops are reopening, but I think over the last year that people have um, regained a kind of thirst for, for reading again. A lot of people who maybe hadn't done it for a while, they've had the time and have kind of fallen in love with reading again. So it is a good time to have it out, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I've definitely heard from a lot of people, um, friends and family, who have not necessarily been big kind of big readers throughout their lives, but I definitely know that people have been um, turning to, you know, there's only so much Netflix you can watch. Yeah. So I think people have realised how... Um, how nice it is to read a book and how relaxing it is and it's good for your, um, you know, it's good for your state of mind and things as well. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. So talk us about through your, that terrible word journey, and I'm doing inverted commas if you're not watching the, uh, <laughs> the video. Talk us about through your journey as a writer, because I think people will be interested to know, because as I say, you've been writing for a while and being published for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I suppose it goes back to, to high school. Um, I chose to do English at Stirling University because they told me that creative writing was a big part of the course. And that kind of turned out to be a lie. There was like one creative writing option you could do and, and that was it, it was gone. Um, and I, I, was, I was kind of arrogant, I suppose, at university. I used to read short stories that were published in the, in the university newspaper and think, you know, what a load of pish that is. <laughs> um, I could do better than that, but I wasn't writing anything. Um, I remember hearing a couple of fellow students in a tutorial talking about one of them had written a script or a play and the other one had like, rehearsed it as an actor and they were they were really passionate about it and in the back of my head I thought, you know, what a couple of wallies they are. You know, really, really stupid, immature attitude to the to the whole thing. Really, I kind of thought, I thought, I thought writing was some kind of magical gift that would just happen and... Um, I probably didn't realise you've got to work at it and you've got to build a foundation and you've got you've got to find your your voice and your style. Um, so when I left uni, I worked uh, in a mailroom for, for quite a long time, and that was kind of a boring sedentary job. So I spent I spent a bit of time noodling about and writing a few stories and a few like first chapters of books that obviously never went anywhere. Um, and then uh, I applied for the Emlet at uh, Glasgow Uni, and that was when I started writing probably a bit more seriously because I had tutorials that I had to submit work for. Um, I was going to Glasgow Writers Group at the Tron, which had a really nice, busy scene. There were some really wonderful writers there. And uh, yeah, so through 
the writing group and the university course, I kind of found a good style with short stories. Kind of, kind of usually writing in Scots, writing in a kind of weird, slightly dark style, which suited me. And, uh, and I tried to write a novel back then. That was 10 years ago. Okay. I tried to write a novel set in the 60s in Glasgow about a band. And um, I got about 40,000 words down and then abandoned it because it was, it was just crap. It wasn't the book that I'd wanted to write in the right. first place. Um, and then I, and then I um, studied and became a teacher. So yeah. that has been a great privilege and a great um, thing for me to do to make money from doing such a wonderful job, but it's busy. Yeah. And uh, the, write, the writing slowed down a little bit, to be fair, for a few years. I was writing short stories and getting a few of them published here and there. Um, I, was start, I started to write kind of a little bit of journalism and a little bit of feature writing. And then I got the, I got the contract offer for the Mash House from Unbound. Um, and that gave me a real kick up the backside to write something substantial, because that's what I really needed and wanted to do. Right. So um, how did that work with you? you did you uh, give a kind of part off the novel to Unbound and then they said, yeah, we want to go with this? How did it work? Yeah, yeah. I've always been motivated by jealousy. <laughs> You're a very honest man, Alan. I like that about you. <laughs> I've always been like green with envy at other people's success. I hate to see other people doing well. Um, no, <laughs> but I'd seen a Scottish writer called Emma Gray um, who had a book uh, with Unbound called Be, Be Good to Your Mammy. And um, I, thought, I was jealous. I thought, oh my God, I want that. I want to do that. So I found the kind of submissions portal through Unbound and I sent them about 5,000 words, I think, of, right. um, of the Mash House. And I'd only written about 15K then. So it was nowhere near finished. But they liked the they liked the extracts and they liked the the kind of personal statement that I added onto it, um, and they said, "Look, if you want to if you want to sign the contract, we're happy to support you with it, and that would mean at the end of the crowdfunding campaign, you send us the manuscript." So that meant that as I was crowdfunding, I was writing at the same time. Okay, that's really interesting. I think a lot of people will be interested, one, and in how maybe we can touch a bit more on about, about how Unbound works later. Yeah. But also that story, the reason I wanted you to tell that story is I think a lot of people will recognise being at a stage along that line. You know, that maybe the early time of, of joining a writer's group, which I did myself for a while, yeah. or, um, you know, even getting involved with a universities, creative writing courses and things like that. Um, there might come a time where they go, do you know what? This just isn't working for me. It's not happening. And the stories go in the drawer and perhaps they never come back out again. But you yeah. determined that, um, you know, I'm not finished with this, basically. Even though you'd started teaching and were moving different places, you think, no, I'm not quite finished with this writing thing and I'm going to see it through. Is that kind of how you felt about it? Yeah. I would have been furious with myself if I got to my deathbed without ever having written and published a novel. That was always my kind of life ambition. Um, and as, as I say, I tried to write one about 10 years ago and it didn't go very well. It was badly structured. It was a you know poor narrative voice, and it just yeah, it was it was not hanging together. And I just needed to be a wee bit older. Yeah, I just needed to be ten years older than I was to um, 
have the, I don't know, motivation, resilience. I don't really know what it is, but um, I needed a bit of maturity and to be a bit more confident in myself and know what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. And did you, going back to that earlier uh, novel that you abandoned, did you realise that yourself? Did you make the decision, go, this isn't good enough, this isn't what I want to do? Or was that something that you got from other people? Yeah, I think I made up, uh, yeah, I made up, I made that decision myself. I went to Co Park for two weeks. Yeah. You know, I can, it's a writing centre up in um, near Helensborough. And I was there on a residency for two weeks and I thought, brilliant, I'll get the book finished when I'm there. I'll get it published later in the year. Next year, I'll write, you know, a play that will get put on at the sits. And then the year after that, I'll do a short story collection. I had this ridiculous, like, route map in my head. And I, I, I was at Cole Park for two weeks. Um, and Ron Butlin was there at the same time. And he was oh, yeah. great. He was, like, obviously, uh, had been through it all and was giving me loads of good advice and things like that. And at the end of the two weeks, I read back what I'd done. <laughs> Just, oh, my God, it's terrible. It's horrible. It's not not the book I wanted to write so um yeah it's probably still on a USB stick somewhere but I've not looked at it in a long time <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you know uh, that idea of having the time to actually realize that what you're doing isn't what you isn't the book that you wanted to write is you know so yeah. going to the writer's retreat if you like a lot of people think as you did this is where I go to kind of finish the novel to go there yeah. and realize this isn't the novel I want to do is it's it's quite a Revelation. Yeah, yeah, not a nice one either. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. Um, so to go to the um, specifics of the MASH house, when people ask you about it, how do you describe it to them? Um, <laughs> uh, I've, I've got a couple of things to say. The first one is it's about secrets, death and malt whiskey. That's my tagline on the book. Um, I was very inspired by Fargo when I was writing oh, yeah. the book. You know, the film and the TV series. Yeah, yeah. This idea of a kind of peaceful, rural, seemingly idyllic small town being being um, struck apart and being poisoned by some kind of element that which is which comes in from the outside. And yeah, Fargo was definitely a big inspiration. Um I tell people it's a Highland noir as well. Um I think I tried to really use the landscape as a fundamental feature of the book. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, basically it's a story where all of the characters have a secret. They're all lying to each other and <laughs> horrible things happen to horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very good way of describing it. Um, aside from, from Fargo, were there other inspirations that you kind of drew on? Yeah, from a... From a Writing perspective, Ian Banks has always been my yeah. Scottish literary hero. You know, a lot of guys my age um, talk about train spotting as being a kind of hallelujah moment when they were figuring out what books were. But for me, it was The Wasp Factory. Yeah. Um, I read that when I was in third year at high school. My mum gave it to me for a Christmas present. I don't really think she knew what it was or how disturbing it is. So I read it absolutely loved it I did a speech about it in class I remember and then I, I loaned it to all my pals and everything like that so yeah Ian Banks was um just staggeringly good writer I think and you know I love that he he did write he did write 
Scottish crime books to a certain extent. Yeah. But he also had this um, much more universal kind of perspective on things. And um, I was also really inspired by, there's an American writer called um, Kent Herriff who writes books set in the Midwest in Colorado. Okay. And his writing is just like, he's such a good writer, it makes you want to stop writing. It makes you just want to quit because you think there's no way I could ever write anything as good as that. Um, but yeah, he, he's a big inspiration as well. His books are just incredible. So um, you mentioned about um, the sense of place and how you wanted that to be a big part of it. And that's what um, came through to people in place were the two things that came through to me the most. You know, uh, but a, it's set in, um, now is Carothas fictional? Yeah, Clarothis is fictional. I'm from Glenrothis and Fife. Right. Um, so Clarothis is just a, a made-up fictional name, taking taking the Rothis and taking the idea of culling animals as a right. You know, some kind of silly, clever little metaphor. I was trying to do. But and it's set up uh, in the Highlands of Scotland, um, and you've mentioned, you know, a, a kind of rural. I. It's almost like the Scottish Wild West in a way where you kind of, <laughs> the, the, you know, the battles with uh, the the wildlife and with nature and everything, and suddenly humans are starting to kind of go in there and it seems to have an effect on them. It, that's something you wanted to do was have the, 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 the characters affect the land, but particularly have the land affect the characters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I lived in the Highlands for a year um, teaching and you very quickly realise you are at the mercy of the landscape and the weather and the midges up there. Oh, um, do you know, I remember one day we, I used to have to get a ferry to school and then and obviously I'm back as well. Um, the ferry finished at maybe half seven or eight o'clock at night and there was a feeling that once the ferry was was finished for the night that you were kind of, you were kind of stuck, you know, to a certain extent. And, you know, I remember one day we, we couldn't get to school because the road was so badly iced over. We kind of had to stop and wait for like an hour for it to thaw. There were hill fires when I was there. Um, a little bit made it into the book. This this happened. I was in my classroom in the afternoon. I had the windows open. It was a hot summer's day. And uh, I thought it had started to snow. There was these little flecks of something kind of floating about in the air. And then, and then I smelled burning. And it was... Um, it was heather that had been lit on fire way up on the hills and it had spread like wildfire. And you could see it going for miles. You know, it was incredible. And um, and yeah, you just realise how powerful the the landscape is and, and how if nature decides to take a turn for the worst, there's not a lot you can do about it. You were a, in Fort William, is that right? Is that yeah, I lived in Fort William and I taught across the water at Ardnamurkin. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. I know that area a little bit and I absolutely got that sense of place. I was always look, you've got these um for people that don't know, a lot of the places up there are, you know, pretty grey and they're they're not they're not it's not a bonnie villages and things like that, is it really? I mean it's quite nice in the height of summer when there's loads of hill walkers and everything yeah, like that, sure. but yeah, in the depths of February it's is grim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, people want to go and see, and even in the summer, want to see the kind of top of uh, Ben Nevis and, you know, never get to, never quite get to see it. But that, never see uh, it. that, that um, it, it does seem to have an effect on the characters 
because, or maybe this was you having the effect on the characters, but they are all um, a, well, they're all kind of lying, aren't they, to themselves and to each other. And was that difficult to write? Or was this kind of, did you um, think, yeah, that person would do that, that person would cheat on that, that person would, you know, how did you kind of take your way through these kind of cast of uh, ne'er-do-wells, let's put it that way? <laughs> Um, well, I teach Jekyll and Hyde at school. Right. And that's all about the duality of man. So I'm interested in that as an idea, as a concept, that everyone is the, the hero of their own story. And, you know, the bad guys don't realise they're bad guys. And the good guys aren't, aren't good guys all the time. So yeah. I probably had four or five different storylines running through the book. And I thought I'd write about 20,000 words for each of them. And then I'll just try and weave them together yeah. um, in some kind of coherent narrative. And yeah, the characters um, changed as the book went along. Um, I'm, not, I'm not much of a plotter when it comes to structuring a book. I like to, I like to see things happening quite organically and, you know, spotting little things that link up that I wasn't really planning or things that um, jump out at you almost spontaneously. And um, yeah, that happened with a lot of the characters, especially with their darknesses. A lot of the time, um, I just, I just, went, yeah, that, yeah, that. Of course, of That's course, they would do that. Of course, they would feel that way, and of course, they would have that kind of um, regret. And then, any time I had a character who I felt was acting kind of unnecessarily um, evil or, or out of order, um, I, I always kind of thought, right, what's their motivation for that, and what's their backstory? And then I went back and tried to write in a bit of um, a, a bit of foundation for them, so that their actions in the present were informed by something that they'd gone through earlier on in life. And in that sense, how do you keep a track of it all? Do you um, have well that person's related to that person, or you know, was it was it as structured as that, or was it something when you were rereading it, you went, oh, well that has to fit in there was, was it was there a lot of editing and editing as you went on yeah yeah there was a lot of editing I didn't have uh, uh I didn't have a wall covered in post-it notes or That's I didn't right. have a mind yeah. that. I didn't have anything like that I had um I don't know why I wrote every chapter in a separate document right um which meant that every chapter felt like a wee standalone scene yeah and I was I was kind of thinking about it kind of cinematically I suppose trying to um, think of them as little isolated moments that, that would then all get jigsawed together. Um, it meant there was a lot of copying and pasting <laughs> to get them all into the one document. And uh, and yeah, I just, I, I got to know them really well and I got to understand who they would relate to and who they were related with and how they would interact. I had a really great editor, uh, Russell McLean, who lives in Glasgow. He oh, was yeah, fantastic. I've read some I sent him yeah, he's, he's so so incisive and he's, he reads with such clarity and he gives you such sharp feedback, pointing out the obvious things that are easy to miss when you're, when you're too focused on the individual details. And um, I, I, he helped me a lot and I needed that because the first draft was really baggy uh, and it needed, it needed that kind of shaping. So um, that, was part of the, that was part of the journey as well. When you say baggy, did you have a huge word count and then you had to get that down? Was that part of it or not really? 
No, actually, I wrote up um, the 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 final book's longer than the first draft. I just mean baggy is it, and I had no shape. There right. were some characters whose journeys just just ended randomly without any kind of explanation as to why they were ever there. <laughs> and there were some incidents or some interactions or conflicts that were never resolved. And Russell just helped me kind of pick my way through those uh, character arcs to make sure that everyone came to not necessarily a satisfactory satisfactory ending, but um, a logical ending. It's really interesting because one of the strengths of the book, again, is that you have quite a few of the characters, but you do weave them all together. There is... And sometimes you're kind of almost in the middle of the book where you realise where the relationship lies. You know, you kind of reveal a little bit at a time, but by the end you do realise that this is, with a few exceptions of interlopers, but this is a community of people <laughs> and uh, and they all have an effect on each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, also, it felt like that. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, it felt like that when I, when I was living in, up north, um, the school was in a village called Strontian, and yeah, you know, when you first got there, everyone seemed to be, you know, um, individuals and desperate from one another. But the longer you were there, the more you realised, oh, that's such and such his cousin, and they live next door to them, and they used to go to school with their granny. And you know, people who have lived in a village or a small community for a long time do form these this kind of connective tissue, um, and I think that's what that's what I hoped to bring out in the book as well. Absolutely, and I think that's very true in the, a small community where there are perhaps a lot of secrets and, and things that haven't been aren't talked about out loud, but actually most people know them, and it's only perhaps when other people come in that they start to make these joins as well, and, and, uh, and that's where part of the kind of pleasure lies in reading the book, is that you are <laughs> uncovering uh, these as you go along. Um, so how long... Were you kind of living with the book? You said that it was going to come out last year and then things. Were you still working on it then? Could you um, avoid tinkering or were you still kind of doing things right up until almost publication? No, I finished the book in August last year, I think. Right. Um, I've not looked at it since. <laughs> to be honest, I submitted the manuscript. They sent me editorial comments. I made the changes based on those. Then it went to a proofreader, and um, uh, another couple of people read it to me. Uh, read it for me, and and got back to me with a couple of other wee typos here and there. So I've not read it in its entirety since probably August 2020, um, when I sent it to Unbound as my completed manuscript. So it's been sitting where it's been. It feels like it's been sitting for a while. There have been little changes and tweaks being made here and there, but. Um, yeah, it's been it's a long time coming to get to this stage of publication. And as your your debut novel, was it kind of everything you expected it to be? Was it very different from having had shorter stuff published? Uh, it's very different. Yes, absolutely. I never, I don't know. I never really had a a feeling or an expectation of what my debut book might be. Um, it's probably relatively close to. What, what I was writing for short stories in terms of its um, setting and, and, the, and the characters and the style of it. Um, I think I probably thought I would have written an urban book, but yeah. it's ended up being a Highland book. But um, I've written another book and that's set in Glasgow. So oh, um, okay. I've come closer to what I'm more used to for that. Well, I'm really glad you said it where you did because I think it's a part of Scotland that's still 
is underused often in fiction and, uh, you know, and on TV and all sorts of places. And I do think that people who haven't experienced it, as you have, probably have a, a bit of a kind of rosy view of Scottish <laughs> Highlands and Islands and all that. Well, actually, it is a bit Wild West, isn't it? I mean, there are a lot of kind of, you know, there are certain places you don't want to go in if you've not been in before on a Friday night or mm -hmm. all of these places. It, it can be, I think it's the perfect place for this novel, which is why um, I think partly it works so well. Thank you. Yeah, no, definitely. I think when you go up, you first visit a beautiful Highland community and you just think, my goodness, it's picture postcard perfect. But then the longer you're there, the more that you realise, well, actually, there are, um, uh, a lot of these places have got um, problems with, uh, with drug abuse. Yeah. A lot of Highland communities um, struggle with unemployment. Um, a lot of their young people leave early yeah. and then you, you end up with a kind of ageing population. Um, and aye, it's just like anywhere else. It's got its good, it's got its good parts and it's got areas that... Um, that you might keep away from the tourists. <laughs> yeah, but it's and it's all kind of almost compressed because it is smaller communities in that way. I mean, there are certain things like the the hotel uh, that uh, is featured, um, and some of the characters. You think, yeah, I think I've met them, and I think I've been there, <laughs> and I think when you read a book, uh, you know, as a reader, that's a great thing to have, you know, to kind of yeah. identify so strongly uh, with it. Um. And clearly many other people have uh, been looking forward to it as well because it was done, published with Unbound, which has the crowdfunding uh, aspect to it. Can you go through that a little bit in, in more detail? Because it's interesting, I think, for people who also are looking to perhaps get published. Yeah, well, I mean, it's quite an innovative um, publishing model, I think. Um, the way that I kind of cleared it in my head was um, most debut novels lose money. For their publisher because they'll have a certain amount of expenses um, up front and then the book doesn't sell enough copies to cover them. Yeah. So Unbound have tried to circumnavigate that problem by, you know, essentially saying um, if you raise X amount of money as a target, that will cover your editorial work, it will cover the design, cover distribution, all the other stuff. Um, and then you've proved that you have an audience large enough and, and enthusiastic enough for the book not to run at a loss. And so once you've reached the crowdfunding target, um, which is through pre-orders, you're selling copies in advance, essentially. It's not a, it's not just fundraising. Mm -hmm. It's pre-sales. Um, once you've reached your target, then Unbound click into just being much more like what I think a traditional publisher would be with rounds of editorial, um, publicity and marketing, the the design, the the designer they've got is fantastic. All of the books always look great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the you know they I think they would maybe call themselves a hybrid publisher. Yeah. Um, and for me, for someone who was going to be a debut writer, who um, didn't have uh, I don't have an agent. I'm unagent unagented. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, without. I don't really have any of that kind of infrastructure behind me. So um, for me, kind of doing it from a grassroots perspective almost um, seemed like it was going to make sense. The crowdfunding itself was really hard work. Yeah. Never going to lie about that. Um, I harassed everyone who's ever come across my path in my life, I think, 
lots of um, you know emails and phone calls to people asking if they'd like to pre-order a copy. Um, I was really fortunate that a lot of the kids at my school got their parents to um, pledge to buy a couple of copies. Um, that's the kids at Fernhill School. I need to give them a shout out because they've been working really hard doing their exams that are not exams. And uh, yeah, um, crowdfunding's a pretty tough yeah. gig, but for me, it motivated me to keep writing. Um, every time you got a new a new sale or a new supporter, you thought, right, that's a wee boost and, and gave you um, a bit of motivation to get back to the manuscript and keep working on it. Well, as I say, it's been great that, uh, that it's it's worked out that way. And I think there was also a lot of people who knew your writing, as like myself from many years ago, have been looking forward to this. So hopefully you got support from them. And you've had some very nice things said about the book as well. I'm pleased to see. Um, you're going to be, uh, I write, uh, alongside Alison Irvin and Sharon Braden as part of the new Scottish Thrillers uh, panel. Sounds like a great panel. Now that must be exciting for you. Another thing to kind of go, yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the I Write Book Festival. It's, you know, biggest festival in Glasgow. Um, and uh, I was very fortunate in that um, Bob McDevitt, the, the festival organiser, invited us to go and film our event in person at the Royal Concert Hall. Ah. Um, so there's no audience, but other than that, it's a real book event. We're sitting in chairs with a um, bottle of Evian and uh, and Bob's actually there chatting to us. So we filmed it a couple of weeks ago and it's going to be on um, 23rd of May. 23rd of May, yeah. It's going to be broadcast. Yeah, and then, it'll, then it'll be on, yeah. online for a few more weeks after that as well. Yeah. Um, so had you, I didn't realise that you'd already done it and done it as live as such, which yeah. is great. Um, have you been seeing, looking at any festivals which have been online over the last year and kind of how have you felt about it? I haven't seen an awful lot, to be honest, Ali, um, because I've been doing a lot of online teaching during the lockdown. That's been involving a lot of um, online lessons and um, I just got a wee bit scunnered with, yeah. <laughs> with the whole thing, to be honest. It was like you were saying earlier about people started to read books a bit more often. Um, I did the same. I started to read much more regularly than I had been in the habit of doing. I just got a bit fed up of looking at a screen. So um, I started to read more often. Um, as I, I wrote a new book um, this year. I just finished it last two months ago. So I've been kind of busy doing that. I've not had a chance to look at an awful lot of online festival stuff, but I think it's a great innovation for that kind of industry and it brings readers and writers together much more closely um, and also I know that I know that iWrite's got a lot of events where you'll have someone in in Glasgow or London chatting to someone in America or Australia you know it gives it gives that kind of globalization a chance to bring everyone together um, maybe more quickly and cheaply than it would have been otherwise. Well absolutely and also um, the fact that people couldn't get to Glasgow to see an event, I think they're going to be available for a few weeks afterwards anyway. So people, you know, if people miss you on May the 23rd, they could still catch up and, and, and watch it afterwards, which is great. So I think there are some uh, pros uh, as well as kind of cons to the way that things are, are going. Yeah. And so you mentioned a, a, a Glasgow novel. One of my uh, last questions was going to be, what's next for you in terms of writing? It's great to hear that there is because... 
I wondered if it was just going to be all about the mash house, but you've you've been working on other things. Yeah, that was my New Year's resolution. Um, it was that and to lose half a stone. I've not lost any weight yet, but I wrote a book. Um, I started it in December or January, I think. And uh, the writer, Natalie Fergie, she, um, she was talking to me about doing a 90 days to 90K kind of writing diet. So right. I, wrote, I, wrote a th- I wrote a thousand words a day, right. um, pretty religiously. I didn't get to 90. I got to about 75K and, and that was the end of the story. So, um, yeah, so it's a really messy first draft, but it's um, a totally different book from The Mash House in terms of its location and setting. But it has a lot of familiar themes and weird characters um, and, uh, and things going on. Excellent. Sounds um, great. It's set in Glasgow in the 1980s, um, and it's based on a, a couple of real-life cases that I remember reading about a while ago that really interested me as a teacher as well as a, a, a person, as a writer, um, when they banned the belt. Yeah, I was as a means of uh, Yeah, <laughs> when they banned the belt as a means of controlling classes, some teachers just kept on doing it. Ah. Because they were used to it. That was how they were used to controlling bad behaviour and they didn't have any other, you know, means of of, um, of getting the kids to behave. So my book's about a, a teacher in Glasgow in the 80s who keeps on belting kids after the belt has been banned um, until one day he belts the child of a, of a small-time local gangster and uh, is dragged into the city's gangland underbelly. Fantastic. Yeah. And it's called Belter. <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, oh, I'll look forward to that. Um, yeah. So I've finished the first draft. I'm going to rewrite it over the summer. And then I'm going to start querying um, agents. Quite like to get an agent for this one and we'll see how we got on. Oh, excellent. That's really exciting. And that's absolutely my school period. So I am looking forward <laughs> to that. <laughs> well, Alan, well I'm, I'm delighted we've got through this without giving away any spoilers because I have to say there's, it's easy to do with a thriller. I'm holding up the right <laughs> But what I will say is it's, it's, it earns its term as a thriller. It's absolutely thrilling and it's an incredible page turner. I got the Ian Banks influence. I also felt um, a, a more recent writer like Doug Johnson. I got that sense of not just because there's whiskey in the book, which is often in his books <laughs> as well, but you know that way that you're you're you kind of sitting. Well, this happened to me. You were sitting up, you know, going through it, and then suddenly it's about two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I should be in my bed, but it had you know partly because there's so many stories to be told. You want to kind of see what happens to each of them as it goes on. Um, so I, I hope as many people as possible read it because it's a it's a fantastic book. Thank you. That's so nice to hear. You've got no idea how nice that is um, to hear that kind of thing. Well, Alan, thanks so much for talking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure catching up. You too, Ali. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Cheers.